and welcome to the show. Brady and I in studio tonight calling in is Ben Boone and Randarius Zandolph. Gentlemen, good to have you all here. The Vikings pull off yet another one-score win. It's now up to nine one-score wins, and they're just one win away from tying an NFL record for most single-digit wins in a regular season. But it was a 27-22 win over the New York football Jets. And uh, BG, I mean, we got off to a good start, uh, getting the interception from the defense on that first play. Uh, The Vikings offense didn't do a whole lot, but they got three points. Um, 52 points now on the season for the Minnesota Vikings. That leads the NFL in most points uh, on your opening drive. So that's that's good. I mean, we've been great to start games. We were rushing the ball really good in that first half. 16 attempts for 94 yards. Um, Dalvin looked pretty explosive early. I mean, he was getting good carries on first and second down. We were making it pretty easy on ourselves. Getting into third and short where we continuously run this empty set on like third and three, third and four, third and two. I don't know why we always run empty um, on those situations. And Kirk obviously was a little shaky. He started the game one for nine. Definitely was a little off target, but the good news is the Vikings found yet another way to win in a one score game. And I think the more you can do that in these high pressure environments, the more times, and it gets to a point where, yeah, you should be blowing out some teams. And I think the next five weeks, we're going to learn a lot about this football team. But but right now, I mean, this last stretch of, of four or five top 10 defenses and the Jets were probably the fastest defenses, one of the fastest defenses I've ever seen. I mean, they were really quick moving to the ball. They have some awesome corners, obviously Sauce Gardner uh, going up with J.J. And then D.J. Reed on the other side did an awesome job on J.J. He did get that one touchdown, but I was very impressed with the Jets, their defense. I think their coach is legit. Uh, Mike White was was just good enough. I mean, he ripped us apart in the second half. And it's crazy that, uh, again, we face a backup quarterback. Um, not that the quarterback was, was the star of that team anyway, but uh, again, we face a backup quarterback who makes – who our defense makes look like he's super good, like some all-world quarterback um, giving up all kinds of yards through the air. But BG, yet again, we find a way to win a close game. Yeah, and I had the pleasure of taking in the game live at U.S. Bank Stadium this past Sunday, so it was cool um, being there for the game. It's definitely harder to come away from the game with uh, an accurate analysis, I feel like, when you're at the game Mm -hmm. um, compared to when you're at home on the couch and looking at all the replays and other stuff. But... Like you were saying, we just found another way to win a one-score game. Um, I remember we were up 17-3 in the second quarter, and maybe at halftime. Maybe it was 20-6 to at halftime. But along those lines, I think we were up right around 14 points. And I saw the live spread came out that the Vikings were minus 13.5. And I was at the game, so I didn't get around to it. But I would put the house on that because... What we've seen this year is that when we get up, it's not going to last. And I knew at halftime it was going to be a close game. And that's exactly what happened. It's not like it happened the exact same way it has been happening. But we're finding new ways to win. But it's not like we're finding new ways to win big. You said it. We're 9-0 and in scores or in one possession games. And we beat the Packers by more than one possession week one. And we've been throttled in our two losses. So... I don't even know if we're improving week after week because we we keep winning these close games that we should be winning by double digit points. We we allow these lesser teams and good teams like the Jets are a good team to have a chance to win it in just about every single week. But I mean, you got to give some credit to our guys and the coaching staff. We always find a way to win and, and come off the game with a W. 
And that was the complete opposite of Mike Zimmer's squad last year, where we were in just about every single game. And I think we lost eight single score or lost eight single score losses last year. Um, so I'm definitely happy we're on the right side of that, but it would just be nice to to have one win like it, like it was in week one where we just kind of coast through it. We don't have a third quarter or a fourth quarter fourth quarter comeback. Um, we're waiting on that last play to happen. It would just be nice, but at the same time, a win, in, win is a win. Uh, we're 10-2, and two, and if you take a look at the past four games, we emerged 3-1 and one after playing the Bills, the Jets, the Cowboys, and the Patriots. Um, I think no matter how we win those games, if we all win them by one point or however it goes, we should be pretty happy with that, and I'm ready to move on to a NFC North opponent now. Yeah, it's going to be good to see the NFC North, especially, I mean, after like you just mentioned, we swept the, or you didn't mention that, but the last four games have been like a lot of AFC East teams, and we swept maybe the best division in all of football. Uh, the AFC is 4-0 for the Vikings, all one-score games, but four wins nonetheless. Uh, and It's definitely giving them, whether it's good experience, whether they're not progressing the way we thought they might by this time of the season, whether it's injuries, there's a lot of things to look at. Um, I think I would hope to see a couple of blowout wins uh, over these next five weeks. They, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago they're going to be favored in almost every game down the stretch. Surprisingly, they're not actually favored uh, on the road on Sunday, at least the opening line. I think we were one-point dogs. Is that right, G? Yep. Um, which is surprising, but uh, we'll, we'll take the points and, and go to Detroit and hopefully get a win. It's, I mean, they're, they're a ball club that, that can put up some absolute – ridiculous offensive numbers and so the vikings are gonna have to figure out some stuff this week uh with ed donatel and that defense uh but but what they are doing is they're playing tremendous football on third down the defense is i mean they held the jets to three of 16 on third down three of 16 that's incredible uh two of five on fourth down they won the takeaway battle once again plus two for that unit uh two interceptions obviously the sealer at the end with bynum but First possession, Harry Hitman getting the tip ball. And then in the red zone, they've been one of the worst red zone teams defensively in the NFL. They were awesome, so awesome on Sunday. Six trips for the Jets to the red zone, just one touchdown, including two stops. And I don't know if that last interception, if they quite got to the red zone, but they were just outside the 20. But two stops on their side, on the Vikings side of the field with the last two minutes to go in the game or a little bit less. Um, maybe than that, but two big stops to seal the game. And um, KOC has been talking about all year in his press conferences, being the best when your best is required. And they haven't been the best at some, you know, at certain points of the game. Like you mentioned at BG, they're up 20 to three. I think actually at this point it was 17 to three minute 55 left in the first half. We're on the opposite side of the 50 short field looking like, okay, this could be a, this could be a blowout here. We could actually blow them out. We got the ball first and 10. I think it was like the 46-yard line of the Jets. Minute 55, we're getting the ball at halftime. We go 12 yards, kick a field goal. The Jets and then go down the field to about midfield, and Greg DeLegg buries a 60-yarder, and then boom, it just goes from being uh, a 17-point game to a 14-point game. Then we come out three and out on our first possession because J.J. drops – and the play before on second down, Kirk overthrows TJ Hawkinson, and then JJ drops an easy third down conversion with about a gain of 17 on like third and 11. Um, and, and then it kind of spiraled from there. The offense, you know, stalled out in the third quarter. But then again, when, when your back is against the wall, how does Kirk Cousins in this offense respond? Uh, the Jets score the touchdown to bring it, I think, within five. It was 
20 or yeah, 2015 um, with about seven minutes to go in that fourth quarter. What do the Vikings do? They go six for six. Kirk Cousins goes six for six and they score in two minutes. JJ corner the end zone. Bet one of the best routes I've seen JJ run all year does the little hesitation in the middle beats him beats DJ Reed to the corner. And it was a beautiful throw from Kirk Cousins. Uh, so they're doing the little things right. I mean, if you can win the takeaway battle, you're that good on third down, holding the Jets of three of 16. The Vikings, conversely, I think we're nine of 18, right at 50% on third down. And then just allow one touchdown on, on six trips to the red zone. If you do that, you're going to win almost every game uh, you get yourself into, regardless if, if you give up 486 yards of total offense. And that's what they did, 366 through the air, 120 on the ground. The Vikings, I think, were about 200 yards less than that. They had like something around 280, 300 total um, total yards of offense. But if you can win the takeaways, you can play good special teams, what they did. Ryan Wright, again, the plus-size punter, was awesome uh, this week. He had some big-time punts when we needed them. And they're just finding ways to win with special teams, with, with making big interceptions, um, another closing pick for the Minnesota defense and they're they're playing their best when their best is required and it's it's fun to watch um in each of the season's four months this comes from Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune the Vikings have closed out a game with a different member of their secondary recording to take away on the team's final defensive play four closers uh and I think we went through it just a minute ago and I can pull it back up here but it, it's been some awesome timely football by this defense whether that's luck whether that's just good experience that they're building for the playoffs remains to be seen uh, but I'm pretty impressed with this Vikings team 10 and 2 now on the air BG uh, I should say Boone your reaction to Sunday's win Yeah it's it seems like with the Vikes it almost feels like they can score when they need to score but then it's kind of like uh, in the middle of the game, you know, maybe third quarter, we just go to these easy three and outs, punt it, kind of let them back into the game. And then, uh, like you said, you know, in back when your back's against the wall, Kirk kind of finds a way to string together a, a drive and, and just kind of go close it out, which is nice to see now that we're doing that. But it's also kind of concerning that, you know, we're, we're allowing – a team like the Jets to kind of stick around with Mike White, who I think threw it 55 times or 57 times 57. something. And, and yeah, but one, the one thing that stood out to me is obviously the Jets uh, have a, have a pretty good secondary. So JJ didn't have that great of a game in, in terms of yardage wise, but my favorite play that stood out was when they swung it over to him and then he was acting like he was going to throw it to, to who knows, God knows who, but uh, he had nothing. And instead of panicking and, and throwing it away or throwing it into coverage, he danced around. I got up to, I think he got the first down and just made a play. And, and that's kind of what it's, it's cool to see just KOC opening up playbook, but then also just letting your studs just make plays, go make winning plays. And yeah, another win, uh, the over hit, that's the most important thing. And, now we, uh, you know, take on a little bit easier part of the schedule. We got to hope for some Philly losses, and and they look solid, so I'm not too confident there. But yeah, just taking care of business against the AFC East was uh, was huge. I mean, that that division's unreal. So uh, I'm excited moving forward. They they look, you know, overall just another good win, uh, and just keep them coming. And Vikings also covered the spread too. Got to include that in there as well. Um, but if you listen to any Minnesota sports radio station, you're going to hear them talk about that Ed Donatel's defense is designed to bend and not break. 
And I think that's exactly what we've done, for better or for worse. I mean, come playoff time, I don't think you're going to get by with that bend, uh, don't break notion. But it's it's good to see that we're winning these games. But I really hope that you know internally we have a talk that something has to change defensively um, as a ten and two team if we want to uh, take a deep playoff run, which. We've got ourselves set up to do that record-wise, um, especially with the down NFC conference this year. we got to change something defensively where we give up 486 total yards to the Jets this past Sunday. We give up 300-plus passing yards to Mac Jones with a Patriots offense that has done next to nothing this whole year. We're finding, we're finding ways to win, which is great, but I feel like at the same time we're, we're not really learning from these losses where we lose by 30, 37 points to the Cowboys. Um, it's, it's, it's just the same old every week. And 10 times out of 12, we've been fine with that because we play really good defense. Um, they move the ball from the 20-yard line to 20-yard line, but we've been playing really good defense and keeping them out of the red zone recently. And that's worked for us. But to, to compete with Philadelphia, um, the Cowboys, and then hop over to the AFC, the Chiefs, uh, even the Bills, I mean, those teams don't have the best defenses, but they're they're probably not going to give up to 486 yards to the Jets and 350-plus yards, whatever it was, to the Patriots the week before. Our offense is great. It's loaded, like you were saying, Boone. If we need to score, I think for the most part we can score. Um, but as we get down this final stretch of the regular season, I'm hoping we just have a full game, a full win on the offensive, defensive and I guess special team side, but mostly defensive, um, where we can build on that and hopefully really improve that part of our game before we get to the playoffs here in five weeks, six weeks. Well, I think, too, moving into the playoffs, you look at the NFC teams that we can play. I mean, you mentioned Dallas and Philly, San Francisco with McCaffrey, too. Like, I mean, these teams are good enough where if they get in the red zone, they're going to punch them away. They're going to score. Uh, and score six. So it's, uh, you know, a little concerning that we're allowing teams to get so easy into the red zone. And yeah, last weekend uh, against the Jets, we obviously held them to, to, you know, a lot of field goals. But I, I don't see a team like Philly or Dallas or San Fran, you know, settling for field goals. I think they'll score uh, touchdowns. And, and that's pretty concerning moving forward. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I think one thing with the defense you got to look at too is injuries. I mean, we've been destroyed in the secondary, specifically the cornerback position, and now there's a good chance after after listening to the KOC Monday presser that um, Cam Dantzler should be back this week. Um, there's a chance that Darisaw on, on the offensive side will be back. Uh, but the big one this week was Dalvin Tomlinson. I, I mentioned it. It was 120 yards on the ground, so still not a great performance uh, from a rushing perspective from that defense. But they were giving up, I mean, upwards of 170 on average a game before. They only gave up 45 to the Patriots. But So it kind of skewed the, the statistics on since I think it was week eight when Dalvin went down. But the, the rushing attack took, or the rushing defense rather, took a big hit from Dalvin, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson going down. So that's something you got to think about for, for the next five weeks and going into the playoffs. Getting healthy at the cornerback position will be huge as well. I mean, we need to get – I think a Caleb Evans might be the second-best cornerback on this team. He went down on Sunday's game as well. He's ruled out already for Detroit next week, which I, I think you rest him for maybe a couple of weeks. Let him get really healthy uh, before coming back, maybe just in week 16, 15, something like that. 
and we'll see how he's doing for a playoff run. And then the other guy is, is um, Zadarius Smith. He's had the banged up knee. He looked a little gimpy uh, on Sunday. He got hit at some point during that game. He wasn't much of a factor in the second half of that game. I think Daniel Hunter has been progressing well in the new scheme, but sitting to Zadarius for a couple weeks is something that I would like to see them do quite a bit. I mean, we got five more weeks and then potentially a buy, but probably not a buy. And then you got to win four games. Um, if that, I mean, that's the, that's the goal they're playing with. So you got a nine game season from here on in, um, you're going to be favored in almost every game on, on this stretch. And it obviously does mean a lot if you lose one or two of these games, but right now where we sit, we got a two game lead on San Francisco for the second seed. And I think you got some time here to play with, uh, Zedarius and, and to play with a Caleb Evans to just give them some extra time to rest up. Uh, and to see what this defense can look like in, in a few weeks when everybody is healthy. And the big thing is also staying healthy. So the guys that are on the field need to stay on the field. We need to get healthy at the cornerback position especially. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Donatel talks about every week in his pressers. He does not care about yards. They give up probably more yards than anybody in the NFL or close to it. Um, from a points perspective, I was going to try to look it up. They were right in the middle of the pack at one point in the season. Um, and maybe when I get a chance in just a minute, I'll see how they're doing um, from a scoring standpoint. But that's really the only stat that matters to Ed Donatel. And, I mean, it, it sucks to see them just see these backup quarterbacks tear apart the Minnesota secondary. And there's so many blown coverages, too. I mean, it's not like they're making these ridiculous throws to to uh, star receivers. I mean, sometimes that is the case. But oftentimes, it's, it's some guy I've never heard of who's running – 20 yards away from every other defender we have on our team and he's running for 50 60 yards i mean it's it's blowing coverages um it's missed tackles they were awful at tackling this week uh and it's not been that way every week but it, it was especially bad on sunday the missed tackles and then just blown coverages i mean there's you have to tighten that up if this is going to be a legitimate 10 and 2 squad and there's been so much talk in minnesota the last few weeks about how good or how bad this team actually is and the national media seems to think it's going to be a first round or a second round exit for the vikings in the playoffs um, but uh, i think it all depends on how much they can tighten up that defense the offense is there i, I think the creativity is there but it's going to come down to can they stay healthy can they tighten things up defensively and i see no reason to believe they can't uh, do both of those things. So we'll see what happens. Looks like the Vikings. Looks like the Vikings are ranked 20th, the defense and points per game allowed <clears throat> at 23 points. Detroit is last in the week and looking forward to this Sunday. Uh, Detroit is last in the league in that category. I think 29 points per game and they are sixth in the league with uh, points per game that they score. So uh, something's going to have to give a little bit. Something is going to have to get my final thought on the Vikings, Jalen Rager. Um, I actually might have a few more thoughts down here. Play him as, as get well. Him involved. We need to get him involved more. I mean, if Kirk has another second to throw that deep crosser to Rager, it might have been that might have been a touchdown. It goes down as I think a 38 yard completion, if I remember correctly. Um, yep. But if Kirk has another second to to hang on to that football and throw that thing deep between those two safeties or the corner and the safety. That's probably a Jalen Rager touchdown. 
he he looks awesome when he gets the ball in his hands. I I mean, we haven't run the jet sweep in a while, but I'd like to see him out there running four or five jet sweeps a game, not actually giving it to him four or five times, just giving it to him once. But the the illusion, the uh, misdirection of running one of the fastest players in the NFL across your defense, that's going to pull people whether you hand it to him or not. Um, so I, I think we got to find ways to use Ragger more. He's a weapon, and I think we make Philly pay by giving us him. And I don't know if you saw his snap count this past Sunday. He only had two snaps. That was one of the two plays he was in the whole game. I mean, that just shows his explosive capabilities. One out of two plays goes 38 yards. Um, yeah, like you said, use him as a decoy or just hand the ball off to him every time. It's not like Thielen is burning guys up as our second receiver. We need some explosive guy who can either take the pressure off of Jefferson or just beat the guy who's who's lined up against him. Yeah, and one last thing about, about Thielen you mentioned what is he doing trying to cut backwards? He's done that for consecutive weeks where he's tried to, instead of just running north and south and getting an extra five, six yards, he tries to cut backwards. He lost five yards when he did it this week. It was like seven yards last week. And then I saw a terrible angle of uh, the the play from behind. Basically, it's like a defender behind and left of Thielen, a defender to front and to the right of Thielen, and he literally goes diagonally backwards. Um and it was it was ridiculous. But Thielen needs to start getting upfield. He's not 22 anymore. He can't make all these guys miss. He's he's 32 or whatever. He doesn't have that quickness anymore. Also, on a quick on a similar topic, I think Harrison Smith might be one of the worst defensive backs in the league when it comes to returning interceptions. He's out there. It looks like he's jogging. He's got the ball loose. He's it's not tucked away and. He just moves slow as molasses out there uh, on that pick he got on the first drive. Patrick Peterson is trying to block for him, and then he just decides not to block at the end when the guy is right there in his face. He shovels it off to Peterson, and they lose a couple yards after that. But I noticed that with another interception Harrison Smith got earlier this year, and I've never noticed it before this season. But he is just moving so slow and just trying to avoid contact like crazy, and he's going backwards. So... Maybe Father Time has caught up to Smith and the uh, Adam Thielen, but I mean Harrison Smith is having a great year, just like always. So, he sure is. Boone, any final thoughts on Vikings? Uh, honestly, I am. I know we we kind of talked about it a little off air, and we were texting about it, but I don't think that Lions line next week is wrong. I, I think the Lions are going to win it. I think it's going to be one of these where we come off somewhat of a sketchy win and then i think we're gonna lose next week national media is gonna have a field day with us and yeah i don't know if we're talking picks later but but that's mine yes we will be talking picks in just a little bit um let's bring in randy he's been on the sidelines Uh, i know you don't want to talk nfl randy uh, the, the Packers did beat the Bears in a little come-from-behind fashion. Aaron Rodgers does still own the Chicago Bears. Um, but we can talk a little college football. Iowa, and the only reason why I'm letting you do this is because Iowa's like our second most listened-to state on the podcast. So there is a bunch of Iowa fans that, that listen to this. And I know you guys have been having a pretty good time in the transfer portal based on your enthusiastic text messages to me like every five minutes. <laughs> Well, here's here's the, the I don't know I don't know how exclusive the scoop is. Uh, sources close to the program, um, the, the big deal at Iowa right now is they have three million dollars in the bank for NIL, and they the goal that they feel is realistic by the start of next football season 
is to have $10 million in the bank. Oof. Now that isn't, that isn't $10 million a year. Um, a lot of that is, um, a lot of that from what I've, what I've been told is, uh, reoccurring gifts and donations. Part of that is one-time gifts from, from big donors. Um, but Iowa is getting into the NIL game in a big way. Um, and we're starting to see it in the transfer portal. So started with Caden McNamara, Michigan quarterback last year, didn't lose his job because he was terrible, lost his job because JJ was just a better quarterback. He's a captain at Michigan. He is, his teammates gave him a lot of credit this year and last year for turning the culture of that program around after a terrible 2020 season. Um, it's looking like Eric all junior, another Michigan captain. So two of the five Michigan captains are going to be transferring to Iowa. Um, and Eric all junior today has, we kind of going after Michigan saying that people didn't treat him well there, which coming from a captain makes you wonder what's going on. Um, makes you, makes you wonder what's going on at, at Michigan. Um, I'm hearing there's potentially another Michigan wide receiver, um, or I should say a Michigan wide receiver who will not enter the portal till after the playoff, um, who would join Caden McNamara at Iowa. Um, that's just Michigan. Um, then we get into Alabama where Treshawn Holden, um, their speedy 6'3 wide receiver looks like he's coming to Iowa. I um, might bring uh, Javon Cohen with him who didn't allow a sack all year um, in the playing left guard for Bama. Um, might bring another receiver with them. Basically, there's a lot of dudes that Iowa might get in the transfer portal this year. Um, and it is after that shitty loss in Nebraska a week ago, um, all Iowa fans are are just pumped up right now uh, because we're getting into the big money game. Uh, and it's going to be a, we're, we're, it's going to be a big year for Iowa football next year. Interesting. Um, what was the second uh, captain of Michigan? Is that, was that Eric Holden. So he was, he was their starting tight end last year. Um, he was on a Caden McNamara's favorite targets. He had back surgery uh, oh, okay. at, at uh, the beginning of camp this year with, with an injury. So he missed all this season this year, but he's gotcha. still a captain. And McNamara is uh, not playing for Michigan right now. Or he's not suiting up for games. Is he hurt as well? Uh, he, he's the backup right now. Oh, so he's um, not coming to Iowa until after the playoff, I assume. So I, I'm not quite sure. So um, I've heard that there may be some, um, not an injury that he, he might've gotten surgery a couple weeks ago on something that wouldn't like one of those injuries that doesn't like impact your ability to play, but it's one of those, like you get surgery when you can get it sort of things once the season's done. So I don't know what his status is with Michigan when it comes to the playoffs. Um, it does sound like he's going to want to enroll in Iowa um, for the spring semester. Um, so I don't know what the what the rules will be like in terms of getting me on campus and how long he can stay on the, the Michigan team for. So I'm not sure if he's going to stay with Michigan through the playoff or not. Um, I'd imagine he would, though, just given he is a captain. Um, but I think, you know, and, and, and the big news with him is he's, Apparently he's gone out and he's, he's been recruiting dudes. So he was an elite 11 guy, I believe. Um, he comes, he comes from the West coast, like just knows, knows a lot of guys in football and he's pretty well respected, pretty well respected across, um, uh, division one football. So, um, there's, uh, there's a lot of dudes that, uh, that he's been going after, uh, that could completely reshape 
this Iowa offense. I've also been told that he's been assured that there'll be changes to the way that Iowa runs its offense. Um, don't be surprised if Miami parts ways with Josh Gaddis, their offensive coordinator. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator last year at Michigan, uh, the Broyles Award, Award winner for the uh, top uh, assistant coach in college football. Um, his offense just doesn't work well in the ACC. Miami had a lot of struggles this year. Um, don't be surprised if he maybe makes his way to Iowa um, at some point this offseason. Um, so I think the big thing is there's going to be a lot of changes to not just the guys playing for Iowa, but, but the way that we run our run our offense, which is desperately needed for Iowa football. Did you guys fire uh, Ference's son? We have not yet. Um, mm. I don't think – I. It, if, if, if a change is going to be made, if, if we bring in, if Josh Gaddis were to come, I imagine that they would be listed as co-offensive coordinators of some sort, but Gaddis would be the actual guy, kind of call and plays. Appearance um, will be more the developmental guy. I mean, he, was, he was our offensive uh, line coach and tight end coach for a while. Um, so I don't know... I don't know what changes we made there in terms of who's calling the plays. Um, but I think part of it too is even though Fearance is calling the play, Brian Fearance it is, um, we still run the Kirk style of football where we run the ball. Um, you know, it's all, it's all about possession and possession and field position. Um, and, and Kirk might be changing his philosophy on how Iowa football runs next season, which I think will impact how, Brian calls the offense. So, um, still a lot to be determined. I mean, we have, t- we ourselves have a ton of transfers um, right now. We have no healthy quarterback going into the bowl season. So, it's going to be interesting bowl prep season uh, for the Hawkeyes. Um, but yeah, it'll be, I think, I think we'll know more uh, probably the week after the bowl game is what the, uh, the coaching staff looks like. Yeah, I saw I saw something Iowa related today. The, the quarterback's name I don't remember who they, they're going to start, but it's like the fourth string guy. Um, they're going to start. Yeah, it sounds yep. like so. So so Petrus has um, uh, got sol- shoulder surgery uh, this past week, I believe, and then Alex Padilla um, entered the transfer portal himself. Um, he's not going to be available for the bowl game. So um, it sounds like we're going to treat the bowl game as basically like. Um, a scout team game or, or an evaluation game where play a lot of like Xavier Nwamka, who is a five-star defensive back who hasn't really played this year. Um, he might get a lot of playing time just to kind of see how he does. Um, so it'll be, I, I don't think I was going into the bowl game trying, either they're not trying to win, but they're going to be trying some new things out. So it'll be uh, interesting, interesting to see kind of who stands out. Definitely. Definitely. Well, there's your Iowa, Iowa minute. It was about five minutes, maybe seven minutes. There uh, we go. But there you go. Gophers got one name. I don't even know if it's a transfer portal guy, but Marcus Allen, I saw last week, uh, Gopher, I mean, uh, sorry, Badger receiver going to be a Gopher receiver next year. That's the only name I saw from the transfer portal. BG. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been paying much attention to it at all. Um, before we got on air, one of our key guys on defense, I believe our safety, said he will return next year. Um, Tyler Newbin. Yep. So that'll be big for us to get him get him back. But as far as 
portals, it sounds like we're not hitting it as hard as the Hawkeyes are right now, but um, I expect more to come. Yeah. I, I, I think that the, the, the stat is uh, 2,200 Division One players entered the portal today, which is Sheesh. insane. 62 yeah. quarterbacks entered the portal. Half, half of ACC's starting quarterbacks are in the transfer, transfer wow. portal right now. It's, um, it's a new age for college football. Yeah, it's take the highest bidder. And some good things and some bad things about it, but I think it'll all kind of get sorted out the next couple of years. It'll change the rules a bit, and we'll see what happens with that. But let's bring Boone back in, get a little Timberwolves chatter um, going. Ben Boone, if you're still on the call, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you haven't been watching the, the T-Wolves as much um, recently, just how bad they've been looking, how bad they've been playing. And it's terrible basketball to watch, but I think we're a game under 500. We don't play till Wednesday night. Um, but they did beat the Grizzlies like the end of November, I believe. Yeah, no, that was, that was a good win. Uh, it was with, um, obviously without Pat. So what I, I'm obviously not a huge Pat guy, but I, I'm excited to see how this team sort of hopefully rallies behind ants, uh, while, Cat's gone. Uh, obviously, the experiment so far hasn't been working, playing the two bigs. Uh, uh, D-Lo's starting to come together a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, with, with right now, this is – everyone was talking about, you know, Ant taking this huge leap in year three, and I would say for the most part he hasn't done that. But uh, over this next, you know, month, month and a half, possibly two months, I think – they want. I think they originally said it's about four to six weeks uh, or six to eight. So without cat, so in this time, it'll really be telling for us that uh, how Ant is is sort of taking on that alpha mentality um, that we've seen. You know, other guys take before, like when D Wade. Uh, not that Ant's going to do this, but lead a team in, in your third or fourth year and, and go win a title. So. It'll be cool to see if Ant can take that step, uh, but yeah, overall it's been it's been very underwhelming. Um, honestly, hard to watch. That's why I don't tune in a lot. Uh, but you know, it takes time. We're what twenty games in, twenty two games in. So uh, I think this time without Cat will be good uh, for other people. But then hopefully, you know, when Cat gets back, uh, right around what before the All Star break for sure. But uh, yeah. Ant needs to really take a step here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what this team does with Towns out a month, month and a half. Uh, I was really encouraged going back to that Grizzlies win over a good Grizzlies team. They were missing a few guys like Desmond Bain, but they had their main their main counterparts there with John Morant. Um, and it seemed like a playoff environment at home and great hustle, great effort from the beginning tip to the end of the game. And the crowd was really into it and besides our maybe first one, two, or three home games, really haven't felt like that in any any Timberwolves game um, so far this year. So it, it was disappointing after that then to play the Thunder, team that's bottom in the West, probably one of the worst teams in the league, and then we, we lose to them. Um, and I think this team is definitely still trying to find their identity, and something they need to find is how to be consistent day in and day out. That's not something that we've been able to do. And I was really hoping that that Grizzlies win was the start of that and maybe a new identity with Towns being out. As we all may know, I'm also not a big fan of Towns. Um, so, yeah, I am hope that we can step in the right direction and kind of 
delete that um, thunder loss from our minds and continue to play better or at least well without Towns and have Ant lead this team, have Gobert act as the one big guy, um, and hopefully that keep keeps things open for Ant, for D'Lo, for Jaden McDaniels, for everybody else now with one conventional five in there. So it's been tough watching, like we've said. Um, I look forward to how we do within the next five weeks or so just to see if we're a better team without Towns because I think that may may speak to a, to a larger issue. So I'm just looking at stats here, too. I just pulled them up on ESPN. So for our starting point guard, he D'Lo is averaging, or his assist-to-turnover ratio is two and a half. That is absolutely brutal. J-Mac off the bench is five and a half. I've been saying it all year. J-Mac should be our starting point guard. But, yeah, D'Lo, I mean, it's in a contract year. Maybe it's good for us that he's playing bad, but also just in terms of where this team is supposed to be. Uh, we need him to, to step up, and he's yeah he's just hard to watch. He's such a liability on defense. Uh, it's almost almost too bad to have him play out there. Yeah, he's so he just seems so lazy, uh, mm-hmm. and it's like I, I wouldn't mind some of the mistakes if he was playing at what looked to be like a hundred percent effort level or even just like a quicker pace. Like if he was playing fast and making some bad turnovers. All right, that's fine. He's playing hard. He's playing fast, but it's like he plays lethargic and slow. And maybe when he looks good, it's like, oh, he's very methodical. But then he just like completely stops on a fast break. Like we got a three on two. D'Lo uh, just completely like destroys the break, slows things down, does like four pump fakes, and then launches like a contested NBA range three. And or then he'll. He'll do a couple pump fakes, try to throw something into the lane, but like fake the pass and then make an extra pass and just throw the ball away. And it's like he, some of the mistakes you could live with if he was playing full speed, but with the speed he plays at being as lethargic as it is, if you're not almost perfect on those scenarios where you're holding the ball and taking that extra second, you can't do that. You cannot completely take the the fast break element or even just like the quickness element of being a guard it's so frustrating to watch him do that our big three of ant towns and uh d'lo uh are shooting a combined 19 threes per game and they're making about five of them combined so i mean obviously cat needs to cat's a better shoot i mean those are all guys who could potentially be uh, 50, 40, 90 guys. I don't know if Ant could ever get up to 40 from three or 90 from the line. But, I mean, you're taking 19 threes. So you have 14 empty possessions. And then if Cat, if Cat's shooting them, you don't have anyone rebounding unless Gobert's goofy ass is down there. But <laughs> it's just uh, – it, it's so hard to watch. And it, it seems like there's so much one-on-one basketball. And, yeah, it's – I think it all stems from not having like a like a true point guard. Now, if if you were asked me who's the perfect point guard for the Timberwolves, TJ McConnell, if you know him, uh, just a tough nosed, defensive minded guy who will go get you uh, set up in an offense. And but I will say, I didn't know we had an Iowa big Iowa fan base, but bring up Luca Garza, get him out there. He he can play. I think he could have a good career in the NBA. They just got to get him up there and, and let him run loose. I mean, he's dominating down in the developmental league. But, yeah, I would, I would really intrigued to see him come play. Gar- Garza's just not quick enough. He's, he's not fast enough to uh, 
to play in the NBA. It's going to be a nightmare defensively. And I know Cat isn't the a model of great NBA defense, um, but Gars is not going to be any better. Yeah, he, might I think he can shoot though. He can he can he yeah. can shoot probably as well as Cat can for a big guy. Um, and he's he's just a smart basketball player. Just his speed is gonna his speed is gonna kill him. I think I mean, it was a preseason game against the Knicks uh, at Madison Square Garden. I think uh, Garza lit it up. I was watching, and he <laughs> he was John with the fans too, and he would just come down and like you know do his mid range three point whatever the case may be, and it was just is splash every time. I mean he. I disagree. I think he can play in the NBA, but only way to find out and shut one of us up is to get him out there. <laughs> they uh, they called him up. Uh, they called him up once. Uh, Kevin initially went out, but I don't think they really played him at all. Yeah, I have no idea. That's enough. Enough. We've we've had enough our fight with we'll talk already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, anybody have anything else from the wide world of sports that they want to cover before we hop into pick segment? Nada. All right, let's do it. How's the uh, St. Thomas Hoops team doing? They've been doing okay. Uh, they've been doing really, really good lately because we've played Crown College mm-hmm. and some other D3, uh, some D3 school in Minneapolis, which I've never heard of. So... Oh, was it uh, North Central? Yeah, North Central. That's where Eddie went to school. Really? Yep. Yeah, so they played North Central. I think they won by like 50-something. Tried to find a spread on that game. Could not find it, as you could guess. But they've got Montana State coming up this week at some point. I forget what night they play, but looks like that should be a pretty good team. Um, And then we've got a few more games before we get into conference play with the the Summit Conference coming up. So um, I think where we're at, I think we're 7-3. and Um, I was looking at the standings today. Right now, we're second in the Summit League, which really doesn't mean anything because it's all non-conference games. But as just pure record goes, we're second behind Denver in all of Summit. And hopefully, and I think it will definitely be the case, um, we come out stronger uh, in the Summit League play than we did last year and hopefully make our way towards the top or at least the, the top third of that conference. So they're doing, they're doing pretty good, I'd say. Yeah, they've been. Yeah, they just need to cut a cut a few people off that roster. <laughs> uh, you know who, exactly who I'm to who I'm talking about. So, once uh, are are they both seniors? Uh, you want to say the names out loud? Parker Bjorklund and uh, what's what's the other kid's name? Brooks Allen. Yeah, Brooks Allen. Both those guys. I'm pretty sure they're have, seniors. Yeah, they need to get off the floor and never return. <laughs> They are, they are so bad, and and you can just tell they're arrogant guys too. And I mean, you know the St. Thomas crowd. So, yeah, I'm I'm. Where'd you I, graduate from, Boone? Uh, Hard Knock University. <laughs> uh, if there was a St. Thomas College Basketball Reddit page, just know that thing would be in absolute flames right now. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, uh, St. Thomas. In action against Montana State on Thursday, BG, 8 o'clock the tip. And then they're Iowa, or sorry, um, Ohio, Idaho, Idaho State, 7 o'clock on Saturday. Um, yeah. Out of Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, Tommy's making some noise. And also the Star Tribune recently has had a number of St. Thomas articles. One very interesting one from last week where they were talking about the five-year bands. The Tommies have, I think, two, or it's only a four-year, I guess. They have two more seasons after this year, I believe, of ineligibility from postseason play for football and basketball, and I assume the rest of the sports are the same way. Um, but the argument from the Star Tribune was, should that be in place? And they talked to the AD. His name escapes me. I think it's Mark Esch. Phil Weston. Phil, yeah, that's right. Phil, Phil. Weston. Yeah. That's right. Um, he commented on it. Caruso did not really comment on it. When they asked him, Caruso said, hey, my job is to coach the football team. When they asked Eston, he said, I think that's something we need to explore. I don't know what the reason is for having a postseason ban on a team that moved up. I mean, there's no competitive advantage to, to being a D3 school that doesn't offer scholarships to becoming a D1 school that in, in some sports, not including football, they do now offer scholarships or they will be able to um, down the line. I don't know what the competitive advantage would be to to that sort of move. It was an unprecedented move. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why there would be a five-year ban. It really puts a, a hindrance on recruiting because you're recruiting kids. This first class of, of John Tower's team at at St. Thomas, they're going to have no ability unless the rule is changed or appealed by the NCAA. They're going to have no ability to play in postseason play. I mean, that, that if you have nothing from a recruiting standpoint, that is a giant hindrance. Um, Andy, I think you got something to say. Oh, the the reason why the reason why the rules in place it used to be two years. Um, this was explained to me when I worked for the athletic department back at St. St. Thomas, and um, it used to be two years, like twenty or thirty years ago. And the NCAA had a ton of, and it wasn't just moving up to D1. It was if you moved from D3 to D2 or D2 to D1, if you moved up at all. Um, and what was happening was you had teams moving up uh, a division um, and not able to uh, basically get all of their programs up to whatever division they were moving up to speed within two years. Um, and a lot of those teams uh, move back down. Um, so the reasoning for the four year, the four year postseason ban was to almost, uh, de-incentivize, uh, programs to move up, um, to, to make sure that if they are going to move up, they, um, it's basically making sure that, that they're going to be, um, sustainable programs. If that makes sense. So the, yeah. the bad way to it, but, well, but that makes sense. But if you look I'm at what St. Thomas has yeah, done, they are sustainable. Yeah, and 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 I'm not saying I agree with that. That's that's the NCAA's rationale about it. I thought it was interesting. Do you all see um uh, Coach Calipari's uh, comments? I think it was this past week. Yeah, um, about, I was going to talk about uh, that. Ellermine, um, and and how they should be able to. Uh, to, to play right away. Um, did, did they beat Kentucky? Did they, did they play them well? They what, lost what, to no Kentucky. Was, they beat Louisville at the beginning of this year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought it was, I thought, I mean, the fact that coach Cal is talking about it, uh, I think is a pretty big deal. Um, and I wonder too, if there's something where like in basketball, if they win the conference this year, if maybe the NCAA makes an exception for St. Thomas, you know, winning the pioneer league, um, in football, and then winning is what, what are we in the Horizon League or, or what are we in some league for, for basketball? But I think the NCAA at the end of the day is going to take a look at all athletics, not necessarily just the big 
big money athletics. Um, so who knows, who knows if anything will change, but that's kind of the rationale for, for, for why the rules in place. Yeah, I guess it does make sense, but I I think the, maybe the reason then for the article from the star tribune and Patrick Royce, who's been writing about the Tommies since for really the last couple of years, since they made the move, he's been very positive. Uh, if anybody knows who that is, it's a very cynical guy who writes, who writes for the Minneapolis paper here and not a very big fan of the Gophers, uh, but he seems to have taken a liking to the Tommies and what they're doing. And I can see why. I mean, St. Thomas watching their basketball team play, they're one of the best coach teams in the country. They pass the ball. It's complete opposite of watching the Timberwolves play basketball. It's a joy to watch Tommy basketball. They play good defense. They share the ball. They tie, they're just an awesome team to watch play hoops. But uh, when you look at the local, the, the big local news stations taking an interest into St. Thomas and Royce even asking in his column the other week, can the Gophers or can the Tommies beat the Gophers? And many people, uh, at least according to him, think that it would be a pretty dang good ball game. Ben Johnson and the Gophers staff, and they mentioned it on the radio last year, they have zero interest in playing St. Thomas. I think that tells you all you need to know about how they feel uh, about matching up against St. Thomas. I think our prediction, BG, from from uh, like a year and a half ago now that the Tommies will be better than the Gophers, at least from a basketball perspective. I think I said like five years, something like that. It might even have to be expedited because it could be this year. It could be year two. Um, and it also is only year two of Ben Johnson's program uh, with the Gopher basketball team. But he's pretty, he struggled tremendously in recruiting. The Tommies had a better recruiting class this last year than the Gophers. Um, so there's some serious, serious questions to, uh, to look at there for the NCAA. Are the Tommies good enough to compete in their respective divisions, at least from basketball and football? I think the answer is absolutely yes. Um, but Andy, you make a good point. I don't know about the rest of the sports go for, I, I mean, I, the I, hockey cool. team gets destroyed when they play, but they're playing against the Gophers and Bemidji and Duluth and the top, some of the best teams in, in college hockey. So the the other note to add to is that um, as a part of the waiver to get St. Thomas to go directly to Division One, um, it it waived a twelve year postseason ban that included I think it was six years in Division Two, so um, it the the ban would have been much greater if we would have gone through the traditional method right. of going to one. So yep. I'm not saying that makes it. I mean, I'm not saying it makes it better, but, but we, right. we did get us to go to Division One in the first place. I don't know how much more the NCAA is going to bend to accommodate St. Thomas right. in this case. And I, yeah, that that could be the case as well. And that's that was Caruso's take from from the interview with him because he they asked Caruso like, "What do you think about?" It? And he said, "Oh, my job is to coach football team. I'm worried about that. I don't." I, you know, that's for, for ADs and for the NCAA to decide. And then he expanded on later in the article. They go back to that interview with Caruso and they say, well, hey, look at it this way. We got a pretty dang good deal. It's only a four-year ban compared to what could have been a 12 or even longer. Um, so he, from Caruso's perspective, he's right on with you, Andy. Yeah, and, and, and again, one more one more point to add is that as a part of the transition division, one, it's a four-year transition that has to do with the number of scholarships you're allowed to offer year by year. Um, like there's other financial, mainly financial and also academic implications. And once you've satisfied everything and basically become a full fledged member of division one, then you're eligible for postseason play. So I think maybe the best way to think about St. Thomas now is that they're, yes, they're playing division one in all sports, but they're, they're still truly transitioning 
when it comes to the rules that they abide by um, versus the teams that they're going up against. Right. Yep. All right. Let's move into picks segment for this week. Boone, we will start with you. We'll start um, in Cincinnati. It's the Browns at the Bengals. Cincinnati opens at minus six, but Deshaun Watson back in action. Boone, who do you like? You said minus six? Yep. Cincy. Cincy. Andy? Uh, I'll take Cincy. BG? Yeah, I'll go with Cincy as well. They're getting my guy, Joe Mixon, back. There you go. I like Cincy as well. We're all around on that. Um, And we will update um, standings from last week. I have that at the top of the page once we finish. Game number two, Boone, we'll go back to you. It's the Vikings at the Detroit Lions. Minus one is the line I have right now for Detroit. Boone, who do you like? Unfortunately, Detroit. Andy? I mean, if... I feel like this line should be Vikings minus three, and if that was the case, I'd take Detroit. But I, I don't know how you can't take the Vikings here. BG, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow Boone. I'm gonna go with Detroit. I think they're playing really well right now. Um, it's a road game, and you, you can't guarantee a win with the Vikings right now. I I kind of liked Andy's analysis of that game i thought it was a game the vikings would open at like minus two two and a half something around there uh but detroit being at one point i'm taking that one point i think the vikes win the football game it's gonna be close gonna probably come down to a field goal um which we didn't mention any field goals this week that was good uh greg joseph five of five on his kicks on, on sunday i did want to bring that up but i like the vikes in one score game once again all right moving on boone we'll go back to you it's the eagles at the giants philly minus seven Oof, minus seven. Uh, they stopped. Philly looked pretty good last week. I'm going to take Philly on the road. Obviously, you know, adjust at the six and a half, but I think seven's good. Randy? Uh, say, say that game one more time. It's the Eagles at the Giants minus seven. I think it's the 325 game, if I'm correct. Yeah, I'll take the Eagles. Noon. They just destroyed the Titans. Just absolutely blew them away. BG? I'll go the Eagles. Um, I Like Boone and probably a lot of people out there who bet, I don't like the line of minus seven. I think there's a good chance it pushes, but uh, I think the Eagles are a far better team than the Giants. I like the Giants coming off the tie with the commies, and I'm just cheering so hard against the Eagles. I want that number one seed. Um, For sure which I do have a stat actually I wanted to share. I think it's a tenant we have, according to ESPN. Um, trying to find it here. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, odds to make the here, – here's a couple odds from ESPN. To make the playoffs, we're at 100%. Obviously, we're a win away or a Detroit loss away from clinching the North uh, first time since 2017. But to earn a buy, we're at 10.5% chance. To win the Super Bowl, 11% chance. So we actually have a better chance to win the Super Bowl than we do to get a first round bye, but that's all right. Um, let's go on. It's the Buccaneers at the 49ers. Boone, who do you like? I also I didn't have a spread on this game. Um, for whatever reason, there wasn't one um, listed on ESPN. Do you know the spread in that game, Boone? I'm guessing there was a little bit of a change. Yep. I'm, trying to, I'm not seeing it. Um, 
Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I'm watching. I see bus. minus three right now, Niners. Well, did, did you see the news tonight that apparently Garoppolo might not have broken his foot? He's still going to be out for a couple of weeks, but he might come back eventually. Really? Really weird on there. I don't know what, what those doctors are up to. I thought they said he had he needed surgery. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if it was Rappaport or Schefter said, tweeted tonight that like right as the game was starting that like they got a second opinion or something and it may not be as bad as they, as they thought. All right, well, let's change our game here since we don't have a line for it, an official line at least. I am three and a half. Mine is three and a half. Okay, we'll, right. we'll stick with it then. Boone, who do you like in that case? There's probably not a line because the Buccaneers are playing right now. Fair. Yeah, so on sports line, it just I go for it for a lot of things, but uh, it has minus three and a half. Okay, let's do so, it. We'll we'll uh, call Bucks, it three and a half. Who do you like? Bucks look horrible right now against New Orleans. Uh, I hate betting against Tom Brady, but I'm gonna go 49ers to cover three and a half. Randy. Uh, I'll take uh, I'll take the Niners. I think Brock Purdy's gonna gonna be really really nice in this uh, this Niners offense. I will also take the Niners. There's probably not a better um, offensive scheme to be put into in the NFL um, if you're a backup quarterback and not that much is going to change for the entire offense. Maybe the Browns. Um, so I don't think they'll be hurt too much by this. And Purdy looked pretty good, so I'll go Niners. I like the Bucks. Um, Purdy did look good uh, on Sunday, but I think once a week you get a week of film, get a little bit of time to to throw some different different things at Purdy. And I watched him play quite a few of those Iowa Iowa State games, and he is not that good. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with Brock Purdy. But I like the Bucks to uh, to cover at plus three and a half to our final game of the week. It is the Sunday night game. It's the Dolphins at the Chargers. Miami minus three. Boone. Who do you like? Dolphins. You said plus three. Dolphins are minus three. Dolphins minus three. I'm on the road. Chargers to cover. Randy. Uh, I think I I don't think you can judge the Dolphins too bad after the loss yesterday. I I think they bounce back. Um, It's a prove a game for for Tua against uh, Justin Herbert. I like him minus three. Yeah, I'll go with Dolphins. Um, they play in my they play in LA, which means they play in Miami. So I'll go with Miami. It is not an away game. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad that uh, those LA teams can't even, especially the Chargers, I guess, can't get uh, more of their fans in the building than than the opposing teams. I like the Dolphins as well in this one. Uh, any final thoughts? We don't have ZBs, but any final thoughts from anybody tonight before we wrap the pod? Uh, Luca Garza had 44 and 16 for the Iowa Wolves tonight. Boom. Sheesh. <laughs> those are those are the numbers of a guy who wants to be called back up to the, uh, the NBA. <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, here's the update on pick standings. Um, I said we would do it. BG vaulted into first place after it was two weeks ago at this point, but he went three and two um, over that. Uh, it was kind of a brutal week. It was <laughs> Bills at Lions, Giants at Cowboys, Pats at Vikes, Packers at Philly, Michigan, Ohio State that week. Um, we all got the Ohio State game wrong. But BG into first place. You're 21 and 17, four games above 500. I was two and three on the week. 
for a record of 22 and 20. Randy, you're at 19 and 18. And Zach is trailing in the rear at 12 and 17. Um, so there you have it. I got all the picks down. We'll tally them up for next week. We hope we got another Vikings win and 11 and 2 start. Be pretty fun to talk about all that. We'll see you then. <laughs>